Hi, everyone. I wanted to remind you of a must read. This is a book that you have to have on your bookshelf. It is called The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. He is able to help you make important decisions, give you some guidance on which path to take, and you get to learn how he tapped into the wisdom and power of the unseen worlds for guidance and inspiration. I had the opportunity to interview him, and he was a lovely guest on the Path 11 podcast, episode 343. Check it out. Listen to the podcast. Go buy the book. Again, it's The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. To find out more information, go to his website, carlgreer.com. That's spelled C-A-R-L-G-R-E-E-R.com. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Reconnective Healing Global Community. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2020, we released an episode with Dr. Eric Pearl and Jillian Fleer about reconnective healing. He was a chiropractor who was working in his practice in Los Angeles, and his patients started to report that they were having these healings just with his hands being near them without him actually touching them. So he went on to research and try to find out what this universal wisdom was behind what was happening. And he developed the reconnective healing process. Their website is thereconnection.com and they are offering an online level one class called the portal to awaken your own healing ability and to learn how to do this. There's over eight hours of interactive content where you will learn to interact with energy, light, and information to experience lasting knowingness, peace, and love without limitations. They gave us a coupon code to give to all of our listeners. It is PATH2PORTAL. We're going to put that in the show notes. And that's 25% off of the Portal Online Level 1 course. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you take it. Send me an email. Would love to know how the course works for you. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone. I'm very excited for our show today. I'm interviewing Mark Anthony. No, not the singer-songwriter, but the psychic lawyer, okay? So he's also known as JD Psychic Explorer. Mark Anthony, my guest today, is a fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He's an Oxford-educated attorney licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. Mark has also traveled to many mystical locations in remote corners of the world to examine ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomenon. He appears nationwide on TV and radio, including CBS TV, The Doctors, and Gaia's TV, Beyond Belief with George Nori. And I know you guys are familiar with Gaia TV because that's where our films are. He's also the co-host of the live stream show, The Psychic and the Doc, that sounds really great, on the Transformation Network. So Mark, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, it's such an honor. And to all your listeners, thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that really intrigued me, which I think is probably what intrigues most people, is to hear that you're a psychic medium and also a lawyer. 
So those two just seem like, what? And it's funny because, you know, in the past few years, I have interviewed so many people that have been in the corporate world, accountants, finance, electrical engineers, you know, like people that you just, I guess maybe we just wouldn't naturally think would move over to this psychic mediumship realm, but they are. So it's like, it's really interesting. So how did your psychic abilities come to be? I know you grew into a family of parents who were very psychic. So I'd love to hear kind of how this all started. Well, both mom and dad had psychic and mediumistic abilities. And, you know, I, I love what you said, how you've been interviewing a lot of people that had these left brain professions like myself, sorry, being an attorney, yet I'm a psychic medium because there's this thought that you know, all mediums and psychics that were running around in fields of flowers, flinging granola and singing kumbaya and all that. And, and um, you know, that, that's the stereotypical view on things. And with, with me, I mean, my dad was a Navy SEAL and a NASA engineer, yet he could see spirits and auras. And my mother was a commercial illustrator and an artist. And this runs for generations in my family. I've tracked it back into the 1890s. Wow. on both sides of the family. And so when I was about three and a half years old, I started seeing spirits, you know, and, and it's not unusual for, for a toddler to have invisible friends, but when mommy and daddy can see them as well. And, and I remember mom going, oh, he's got it. And dad going, oh, geez, he's got it. You know, because my dad was worried about how I, I would be treated, you know, because, you know, People are not always understanding or accepting. I think it's it's better now, but you still have a lot of people that uh, are resistant to these abilities. And so I was drawn spiritually to the clergy. I was raised in the Catholic faith, although at dinner time we talk about Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad. I mean, and my family always had a very expansive view of spirituality, and I think that's part of, of being a psychic. And I, I got to the point, though, where I decided there were too many rules and regulations in the clergy. So I ended up going to law school. Not that there's, you know, a lot of rules and <laughs> regulations there. And, you know, being, being a medium is just part of my skill set. But it became pretty clear when I first started practicing law to, to my colleagues that something was a bit different about me. And when I, when I first, my first job, I was a prosecutor. Okay. And for those of you who don't know, a prosecutor works for the state. I worked for the state of Florida and we're the ones who bring the evidence and try the cases against people charged with crimes. All right. We like to think of ourselves as the good guys. All right. And when you're a prosecutor fresh out of law school, you get assigned doing a lot of first appearance work and first appearances is where people who are arrested, they have to come before a judge within 24 hours of their arrest. And because you're fresh out of law school, you usually get stuck doing this on the weekends and holidays. So I'd be there with my co-counsel and then there'd be the defense table, usually a public defender and some people had private attorneys and they'd bring the people in and I'd say, okay, child molester, all right, drug dealer, all right, this. And before I ever saw the police report and my co-counsel would be like, how do you know that? Like, well, look at them, you know, and it's like, look, and, and I don't mean it in, in that way. I could just detect things about them, feelings. And, you know, people that have been in, in jail all night, you know, have kind of a worn out, grungy, tired look. So they all kind of have a similar, similar appearance, but I could pick up on things. And so it kind of got to be, hey, 
see if Mark can figure out what someone's charged with before we show him the report. And so it kind of got to be a thing, but then there was, you know, other things too, that, that I would have insights into situations. It certainly doesn't make, make me all knowing and all seeing it gives me insights. Sure. And did you ever have incidences, you know, like you hear sometimes law enforcement will hire psychics to come on to certain cases. Did you ever have any incidences where your psychic intuitive abilities kind of knew something more about some of these cases? That Yes, on several occasions. Also, I've consulted and consulted by law enforcement. And when I was on the CBS TV show, The Doctors, they asked me to do a reading for a family in a cold case murder. And the information that came through led to the arrest of, of the suspect who's still awaiting trial on, on premeditated first degree murder charges. And, but, but the thing is a lot of times with psychic intuition and mediumistic contact with spirits, the information that comes through is not always immediately apparent. And, and also psychic intuition is not admissible in a court of law. I mean, it's, it's hearsay. And hearsay is an out-of-court statement, all right, something that was said out of court that is offered into court to prove the truth of the matter asserted. And the way to get around hearsay is can that statement or whoever made it be subjected to cross-examination? Well, obviously, we can't put a spirit on the witness stand. So you would have us believe that, you know, you can't do that. I mean, really, honestly, what, what's more hearsay than something that comes from a spirit? But what we can do is give the police information that, that puts them on the trail to go from a cold case to a hot case. Right. And that can lead them to find admissible pieces of evidence, which then can result in, in an arrest and hopefully a conviction provided the person's guilty. Yeah. Awesome. I know I love stories like that, but you're also here to talk about a book that you recently wrote called The Afterlife Frequency. And if you're watching on Path 11 TV, Mark has a copy of the book, beautiful, all my favorite colors, blues and purples. What I love about this too, is that you've termed kind of new dialogue, right? Yes. You've come up with different sayings that I had never heard of, like the electromagnetic soul, which I want to talk about. You also came up with a certain approach to help people come into more of the alignment of the afterlife frequency called RAP recognize, accept, feel, and trust. So those are things that we're going to talk about too. And I wanted to just kind of understand and, you know, what prompted the writing of the book? How did the book kind of come to be? Oh my gosh. There, well, my whole life, certainly this is my third book. And my first book, Never Letting Go, helps people on the journey through grief. And then when I was on the Never Letting Go book tour, people started asking me, um, questions like, is reincarnation real? Do animals have souls? And, and is there a scientific basis? So that's where I, I started working on bridging the gap between the spiritual and the scientific. And then over the past six years, I've been working on the afterlife frequency, which actually also encompasses my, my lifetime interest in theology, philosophy, quantum physics, because when you're an attorney, and I, I was a prosecutor. I was a criminal defense. I, I did complex civil litigation, including head injuries. So I've studied the human brain. I've worked with forensics, biologists, medical professionals. And then in my free time, what I do is travel to mystical locations around the world because I love ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomenon. And 
it just made sense. Everything started coming to a point. And also I remember when I was eight years old, I was talking to my dad about space and I, I loved, I loved my dad. Both my parents had passed, but dad, you know, having been a NASA engineer, I would ask him all these questions and, and we'd look at the stars and, and, you know, we talk about, about space travel. And I remember saying, well, that sounds, you know, is that impossible? And my father said to me, he said, Mark, a mystery is just a question for which we do not yet have the answer and nothing is impossible or beyond explanation provided enough research. And he said, and funding is <laughs> the, you know, working, you know, working for, you know, enough research goes into it. And, you know, that, that really gave me the mindset that everything has an explanation. If you'll indulge me for, for a minute. So there was that because I had been studying for years, the different types of what I call interdimensional communication. In other words, we live in the material world. This is our dimension. The other side, the afterlife frequency is another dimension. And how is it that communication between the two dimensions happens? And it isn't just mediumship that I'm writing about. We've got mediumship, which is communication with a spirit through someone like me. Then there's a visitation. Perhaps you've felt or caught a glimpse of a deceased loved one around you, or particularly in the dream state where you have, yes, yeah, I see you're nodding that, that yeah, yeah. That's a very popular means for spirits to communicate with us. But then again, deathbed visions, shared death experiences, near death experiences. Traditionally, all these phenomena have been treated like a salad bar. They're all different in different categories, but they're not. There is a commonality between all of them that involves energy transfer and frequency alignment. And they all involve in the vibrational frequency of our brain waves, elevating to get a frequency match with the higher vibration of the afterlife frequency. So years ago, the best friend I ever had, Billy, we, we met when uh, we were 11 years old. We went to Cheater High, high school, college together. And after college, I went to law school and he went to Asia to study, study Japanese. And he realized he was a linguistics genius. He could speak Japanese, Cantonese, Thai, Indonesian, and he was teaching executives in Japan conversational English. And so I went to visit him and we spent, uh, spent about a month, month or so in, in Asia and had all these amazing adventures, explorations. And in fact, the, the first chapter of the afterlife frequency is, is a pretty wild adventure that we were on. And we had this ongoing discussion our entire lives. He too had been raised in the Catholic faith, but he was an atheist. And of course I argued the other side and, and he said, you know, Mark, especially when we were in Japan, in Thailand, I'd be going into these temples and talking to the monks and, and I was just really into it. He said, you know, you make me think. And he said, I still can't figure out how you do the psychic thing. He said, but I just don't believe because there's no technology, there's no science to prove this. Well, a few years after that, he died from suicide. Okay. And he, like I said, he was the best friend I ever had. I even performed his wedding ceremony. He met a beautiful woman from Japan and uh, they asked me, would you, know, cause I was a notary public at the time, you know, in addition to being a lawyer, 
And, you know, performing a wedding for my best friend, his wife, who became also a best friend and, and everybody that we knew from college. I mean, it was just great. And, and then about two years after that, I get a call from, from his wife and she's very, very Japanese. And she said, and, and what I mean by that is very proper, very loving, very respectful of life. You know, she was very Buddhist that way. And she said, they want me to kill him. They want me to remove life support. And I just cannot do this. And, you know, and I'm crying, you know, because, and I said, don't do it. The feeling that I got was do not do this. And, and I said, don't do it. You're not, you're not ready to. So she told the doctors, no. And I'm so glad that that message came through because he expired on his own three hours later. And I know that she never would have forgiven herself. She always would have felt, you know, I killed Billy. So two years after that, I'm speaking at a paranormal convention at Estes Park in Colorado at the Stanley Hotel. And the Stanley Hotel is great. You know, if you haven't been there, go. It's also because it's beautiful. It's Western elegance. And it's right at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. And it also is considered one of the most haunted or let's say uh, places in North America of very high levels of paranormal activity. All right. So I had just given my presentation and I'm down in the conference room area, which is really big. And there's all these tables where, you know, I'm signing books, you know, signing books. And my manager, Rocky was with me and she was checking out all the paranormal investigation equipment because they had a lot of other speakers. A lot of them are on TV that are, you know, you know, paranormal investigators. So she's walking around and, you know, I've known Rocky my whole life. And so she's walking by this one table that they're showing with this device called the spirit box. Now, what's interesting about paranormal investigation equipment is because it's all designed to scan for different forms of electromagnetic energy, infrared, heat, um, ultraviolet, radio waves. And this will lead us into the, the EMS, the electromagnetic soul. And so she's walking by this one table and this guy, Chris, he's a very well-known paranormal investigator. And all of a sudden out of this device, she hears get Mark and she stops and she, she looks at it. And again, it goes, get Mark. And Chris goes, whoa, he said, do you think he means your Mark, Mark Anthony? And, and, and so I'm, I'm like, you know, 50 feet away and I'm signing books and all of a sudden I hear Mark, Mark and Chris and Mark, Mark, get over here. So I get up and I'm like, what, what's going on? You know, and I'm thinking, you know, and so a crowd's forming, you know, and I run over there and, and I, I'm, I'm coming up to this table and all of a sudden I hear, dude, and my heart skipped a beat. It was Billy's voice. And I look at Rocky and the tears are coming out of her eyes because she knew him. And then I hear, love you, bro. And it all went to static. And I almost fell down. And look, I'm a medium and I'm used to, I'm, I'm the one that's usually sure. doing this. But I'm sitting there and, and the investigator's going, this is highly unusual. He said, not only did it say get Mark, but both of you actually heard and were able to identify the voice. The thing is, we both grew up in the surfing culture of East Coast, Florida. He always called me dude, always called me bro. And one of the last things that he ever said to me was, I love you, bro. And so this, this device picked up on that. And so initially I was very, very over, uh, overwhelmed and overcome. And then it got me thinking, 
because I write about in the afterlife frequency about spiritual synchronous things like this just don't happen by coincidence. And then it also, I wrote a chapter called The Unfolding, where a spiritual event happens and it's like a flower, it blooms, blossoms, unfolds. It takes time for us to fully understand it. And then it dawned on me and I knew. So there's no science, there's no technology. What did he choose as a means to communicate with me? Now, I have to admit, in, in like in my book, Evidence of Eternity, I wrote about, you know, the first time he came through to me spiritually. But this was a couple years after that. And then this got my wheels turning, coupled with what my dad told me, that there is a logical and scientific explanation for everything, whether or not we've yet developed the technology to detect it. And that led to me writing the afterlife frequency. Wow. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. Oof. I get, I get, I got choked up too. I had some tears. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a right in the one. heart. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like he, he was my brother, you know, I mean, I, I have a biological brother whom I love to, 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 you know, to infinitely, but, but, you know, he was my chosen brother. I mean, you know, how often do you get a friend like that in life? Someone you meet when you're in junior high, who's just with you till the end. I feel yeah, I have one of those. I have a best friend. She's still alive, thankfully, but we started playing in the crib together. You know, it's like yeah. I've known her 44 years. It's probably my longest relationship outside of my parents. You know, it's like, it's a, yeah. I feel yeah like and I'm speaking not just to you, but to everyone, cherish those relationships. You know, when you have those lifelong friends and you haven't seen them for a while, yeah, texting and Facebooking's nice. Pick up a phone, call them. You know, call them because, you know, in, in the blink of an eye, they, they could transition to the other side. Yeah. Now with kind of getting those messages, right. He came through with, through the spirit box, the frequency we're talking about. Right. You mentioned earlier about kind of our brain waves and being kind of in sync and in alignment, say with the spirit world. I had talked to somebody recently too, and I think she described or kind of gave an example of, you know, it's so hard for many people to meditate, right? To get into a little bit of an altered state right. that she had also described, I don't know if you've experienced too, that spirit also has to meet us at a level of frequency. So it's kind of like right. we're rising and they're coming down. Correct. In a sense. And it takes a lot of effort on our behalf to do that. You really have to have kind of like, in some ways, not really a trained mind, because I think there are those spiritual synchronicities and people will get messages right. and they may not even be in that state of mind per se, like that stuff just kind of happens. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you were saying earlier with the brain waves and this frequency of us kind of rising to meet spirit and spirit kind of coming to meet us. So there is this frequency of communication. Yes. And this comes to the term I developed, the electromagnetic soul. We have five different forms or five different types of brainwave frequencies, gamma, alpha, excuse me, gamma, beta, alpha, beta, and delta. Gamma is when you're at full throttle. That's like, you know, Matt Amodio and Ken Jennings on Jeopardy. Okay, this is, you know, that's when you're running your brain full throttle. Beta is the state that we're in now. That's our everyday awake, conscious, you know, gets able to go to work, drive a car, you know, use a computer function. Alpha is when we begin to relax. That's when we drift into a slower, that's the meditative state. 
Okay. Just what you're saying. Meditation occurs when you slip into the alpha state. Then there is the theta state. Theta is deep sleep and dream, the, the dream state. The delta frequency, a lot of people poo-poo it because they say, oh, it's dreamless uh, sleep and you're basically... Delta is real important because that's when your body heals itself and there's cellular repair. But let's get to the alpha theta border. This is where psychic and mediumistic activity occurs. Like when we've been, you know, I've been, my, my brain's been tested. I've been subjected to PET scans, CAT scans, QEGs and all that. And uh, other mediums have as well. And it's on the alpha theta border when psychic activity occurs because that's when we are receptive to it. Spirits spot that. They will adjust their frequency, whammo, you get a frequency match. And that is why so many people have visitations in the dream state. Because, right. right. And, and you know, it's funny when you look at our culture, even, even in the Bible, there's all these prophetic dreams, you know, Pharaoh having the dreams and, you know, the three wise men being warned that Herod's going to kill, you know, the baby Jesus and, and all this. And uh, they're wonder, wonderful, wonderful stories to illustrate this. And that's also the most accepted form of spiritual contact because people say, I had a dream and it felt real. Well, because it was. And what we don't understand yet, we meaning the scientists uh, and researchers like myself who study this, why is it that people like me can immediately go to the alpha theta state while we're in the beta state? And there, there's many different theories about that. So what we know from faith, people of faith refer to who and what we are as a spirit or as a soul, and that the soul pre-exists the body, comes into the body, and then leaves the body after the body dies. We know from medical science that our neural network, our nervous system operates on electrical impulses, and our brain has a highly sophisticated electromagnetic field. Okay. And we know from the laws of thermodynamics in quantum physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. So after years of research, I melded all of this and I refer to who and what we are as the EMS, the electromagnetic soul, because that describes what we really are, pure consciousness, which is eternal electromagnetic energy. And scientists who've reviewed and endorsed the afterlife frequency and, and some of the top researchers in the world have, have endorsed this book are already, they, they love the term, they're already using it. <laughs> Dr. Gary Schwartz said, EMS, I'm using it. And I'm like, by all means, please. And, and so that I think is a lot more descriptive and accurate term. I mean, it's okay to say, you know, my soul or your spirit or your consciousness, but to define what we really are is that. So that when you die, think of your EMS as a drop of water that leaves the brain and plunges into this eternal sea of consciousness, AKA the afterlife frequency. And so that's on a higher vibration. And when you and I have contact with spirits, it's because the vibrational frequency of our EMS is now tuning into the vibrational frequency of this collective consciousness of spirits. And it's like, Okay, we live in AM radio, they live in FM radio, so we're cranking up our frequency, they're lowering our, theirs, and voila, we get a frequency match. Yeah, love it. And what you were talking about too, like how can people can be in the beta state and drop into it? And would, do you feel like that, that part of that is repetition and practice and being able to drop in and 
you know, because I've worked with clients before too, you have the same experience, you know, it's like I'm talking to them just like I'm talking to you, but then I have that other radio wave that's coming in and information's coming in and I'm able to express to them what, what it is I'm hearing and feeling all at the same time. Well, like any skill, any skill, any activity, it requires practice. I mean, you know, if you look at somebody, I'll, I'll take like Michael Phelps or, or Venus Williams. Okay. She may have had a, a proclivity to be a great tennis player, but she needed practice to get, you know, where she is. Same thing with Michael Phelps, you know, he could have been a fast swimmer, but he needed to, to practice. And it's, it's the same thing with, with psychic and mediumistic activity. Some people are going to simply be better at it than others. I believe that mediums are born, not made. And what my book is not about, it's not about turning you into a medium. A lot of my colleagues are like, buy my book, turn me into, you know, I'll turn you into a medium. Not all people are mediums. In other words, we can all play tennis and we can all swim, but we're not all going to be a Michael Phelps or a Venus Williams. Maybe we can all do math, but you know, we're not going to be an Elon Musk or a Stephen Hawking. People are simply good at different things. That being said, we are all capable of having a psychic and mediumistic experience because of our physiology, because there is a biomechanical reason we have receptor areas. That's another thing that I describe in the afterlife frequency. But I developed, and you mentioned it before, a four-step technique, the raft technique mm -hmm. on how to, to benefit the most from spiritual contact and how by employing the raft technique, you can also, it'll help you understand contact through a medium, through a direct visitation, help you understand your near death or shared death experience or deathbed vision. Well, the way I, I came up with this technique, I'm smiling because I, I didn't plan on it. I, I was working on the book. And, and I was trying to figure out how do I explain this to people who are mediums? And I hit a, a proverbial brick wall. I had writer's block. I mean, nothing was happening. So I thought I live near the ocean. I'll go for, you know, walk on the beach. That always is, you know, <laughs> hey, if all else fails, go for a walk on the beach, right? Well, I start out my front door and all of a sudden I get this tingly sensation. I do an about face and I head towards this bike path near my house. All right. So I'm, I know something's going on here and I know that tingly, that electromagnetic uh, sensation. So I'm walking on this bike path. It's around 11 in the morning and I see these two objects shining in the light. And I look down at them and it's a nickel and a penny. And I hear my mother's voice. If they're not heads up, don't touch pick it. Up. Don't pick them up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know that it's a bad luck. And then I okay. my, my dad's voice say, it's money, grab it. And I'm laughing, you know? So I pick up this nickel and this penny and I'm looking at it. I got a six cents. And I was like, wait a second, six cents. It's like, okay, something's going on here. Then the cold chills and tingles. All right. Reason people get cold chills and tingles when spirits are communicating with you. It's not because it's scary. That's the same physical sensation we have in the flight or fight response. That's why a lot of people immediately jump to the conclusion spirit contact is negative because they'll, they'll feel that. But I realized that my parents were trying to get a message through to me. And all of a sudden in my mind's eye, I saw an image of my dad and I you know remembering him when I was a kid, he was probably about, you know, 40, maybe 45. And he's standing in the ocean up to his waist, holding this blue canvas raft. 
you know, that we used to go, you know, uh, wave surfing on and stuff. And cause you know, dad was a seal and he was a scuba diver and a swimming instructor and, and I go raft. And then it hit me, recognize signs from spirits, accept it as real, feel it first, think later, feel it without fear and then trust raft. That's what they were trying to tell me. And I ran back and the writer's block was gone. And so. Yeah, within the matter of, of maybe 45 minutes, I had constructed the raft technique because they were showing me, and this is what I teach in the book, how to recognize when a sign from a spirit was around. Okay, like for me, I started getting the cold chills and tingles, all right? And then I see the, these coins, accept the experience is real, okay? Accept it, recognize and accept it, feel. This is where people get hung up. They start to think and instead of feel, feel what it means, feel it without fear. This is where people cross-examine. Remember earlier, I saw about cross-examining your spirit. Well, that's what happens. Oh, this can't be real. This must be a grief-induced hallucination. I must be imagining this. This is barely coincident. You start doing that and that's it. And that's where, where I'd say the majority of people fail. And then trust, trust in the veracity and the truth of the message. Now, I want to make sure that I make this clear. In in this world that we live in now, there's a lot of people, these conspiracies and all this, they feel that, oh, they're receiving messages to revolt and rebel and 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 flood, you know, false information around, or that we have to engage in violence and and hate these people. Those are not messages from spirits. Those are not messages from the divine. Those are ego-driven people who are looking for some type of moral justification to commit acts of anger, bigotry, hatred, and violence. That is never spiritual. Nothing spiritual incites that and nothing spiritual is controlling. The, the, the trust is you know that it's a message from a spirit or the divine, one and the same when it's about peace, love, healing, resolution, that's the difference. Love it. And, you know, I teach intu um, intuition development classes and I have said this in so many ways with trusting that it's real. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to use raft. I'm going to use. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that was well, one of the reasons I uh, thank you for saying that. That's one of yeah. the reasons that I wrote it because I realize that a lot of um, teachers and practitioners like yourself can can be using the, this as as a text as a guideline because you know I hear all types of you know this and this and this and the way it came to me and the way it put together and and you know I wrote it and I thought about it, it's like that's it you know that's it it's boom 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 and then over time like see I can tell you just do that naturally you go mm -hmm. recognize and feel trust all right for those of us who who are used to doing this. We do it naturally, but still, sometimes we get hung up, you know, we will start doubting and, you know, because we're only human and, and for people who are not used to doing this, this will help them start to get the most out of that experience. So let's say, okay, for one of the listeners, you're driving in your car and all of a sudden you feel compelled to turn on the radio. And there's that song that makes you think of, of your loved one who died and it touches your heartstrings. Do you think you just turned on the radio at that precise moment to hear that exact song was a coincidence? 
it was an electromagnetic impulse from a spirit which interfaced with your brain, which guided you to do that. Okay. That's what I call a frequency beacon. And that's the interface of your EMS with the higher vibrational frequency, the afterlife frequency. And so all of us have these experiences and now we know how to, to work with them, to, to cultivate this ability so that we get more out of the experience. Yeah. So I can imagine people who are listening to this, one of their questions might be, how do I get my brain there? <laughs> Tell me, Mark, <laughs> I just you know, I want my brain to be there. How do I get it there? How do I, you know, and I think some of it is the RAF technique, you know, yeah. it's like recognize when stuff shows up, accept it, feel it, trust it. But if people, you know, wanted to say, okay, you know, this next week, I'm going to try to get my, you know, EMS to this certain place. And maybe I want to see if I can get some more messages. Where do you tell people to start? How can they? Meditation, meditation, you know, and, and a lot of people think, you know, meditation, you have to sit there for, you know, three hours, or, you know, I, I can't do that. I'll fall asleep. Okay. My meditations can be anywhere from five to maybe 15 minutes, you know, and, and plus, you know, we're so busy these days and, you know, we live in this hectic world. Meditation, prayer, prayer is when we speak to the divine, to, to God. Prayer is when, when we speak, but meditation is when we listen. And meditation is like, think of your, your consciousness as a whiteboard and you've written all the stuff all over it. We got to erase all of that and get to one thought so you can focus on one thing. Also, it, it's funny because people say, well, I want to, I'm going to have a spiritual experience. I want to have it right now and say, okay, it, it doesn't work that way either. Okay. If you go into it loaded with angst about, I want, I want, I want, count on that not working because once again, you're hitting the third step, you know, the feel you're, you're replacing the feel with all of this angst and flooding it. That's part of the chapter that I call the unfolding and avoiding the no, no, no syndrome, you know, where people, uh, flood, um, the energetic field where they overanalyze everything, or they, 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 they refuse to recognize things, or they have this, I want this to happen right now. And without meaning to, they're creating an energetic block. Right. Yeah, definitely. Because I feel like they're bringing more, more logic in, in a sense, right? Or they're, I mean, I don't know if you would say logic would move us up into gamma or at least beta, but, you know, it would kind of keep us in that certain brainwave of, of thinking pattern. Whereas if we're moving into the alpha theta state, we're not all in about logic, right? It's more resting. As you said, it's more relaxed. Right, right. To receive the message initially, then you get it down. And then after the experience, then you can start analyzing it, you know, because a lot of people, the second it comes in, they immediately go into hyperanalysis mode. It was so funny. I was doing a reading about two weeks ago for this engineer. Okay. He goes, well, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm like, oh boy. Okay. And his mother's spirit came through and started talking about his sisters. And I said, it feels like you've got like four sisters. Yes, I have four sisters. And she's talking about like Marsha, Mar no, 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 no. I go, hold on. I, it's like Marsha, no, 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 no. He goes, their names are Marie, Margaret, Marilyn, Mary. And I go, hold on, hold on. They all start with M-A-R, but they didn't say Marsha. He couldn't understand that vibrationally I was getting the sound. I didn't know that all of his sisters had a name that started with M-A-R. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm hearing Marsha. One was Marie, one was Marilyn, one was Margaret. So she was trying to get me to his sisters and instead he was hyper analyzing and arguing with me 
And it's like, look, I just don't fling out random, random sounds. Um, hoping to get a hit. Like I was doing, this is so funny. This, this client was great doing a group sessions before COVID. It was 10 people, what I call a light sir. And I was drawn to this one woman and her father's spirit is giving me the image of the, the dwarf grumpy, you know, and I'm getting grumpy. So I'm going, I keep getting grumpy. And she goes, I collect grumpies. I'm like, what? You know, and everybody's like, someone goes, is that a thing? <laughs> you know, and it's like, she apparently collects figurines and images of the dwarf grumpy. She likes that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, now when people go, you're cold reading, really, really of, of all the cartoon characters in existence, I'm going to fling out the dwarf grumpy, hoping to get a hit. And it just so happens that this woman collects grumpies. Now that's a new one on me. I never heard of anyone collecting grumpies, but the thing is, that's the type of verifiable fact that, that evidential mediumship. And she immediately employed the raft technique without meaning it. She recognized it was her father, accepted as real. She felt, oh my gosh, this is dad. And then she trusted the message, yeah. you know? And so it's, it, it, it will become second nature. Yeah. I wanted to ask you another question too. Like in the beginning of the book, you talked about things and gave examples of things being predetermined. What, how does free will come into that? You know, cause I th feel like that that's a little bit of a, a debate it's because like you said, the, the spiritual synchronicities, right? That's not random. Things just don't appear to be random yet. If things are predetermined and nothing is really random, do we, are we really exercising any free will? Is that a joke? Or do we think we have some level of free will to be able to manipulate things that are happening in our surroundings? Or does the, the great creator say, I'm going to give you a little bit of play, but ultimately I know how this is going to turn out. and This is the way it's going to be. I think that's more of, of what it is. There's a day that we're coming in and a day that we're going out and our free will depends on what we're going to do in between. Okay. And there may be certain things that we're supposed to do or go in, but then again, we have a choice whether or not to engage in that. And it, the, you know, the answer to this is as complex as cancer. And, and I mean that, that it, it's very, very, very hard because some people, well, you know, I had oatmeal this morning, so that was predetermined. Well, no, I mean, you maybe would have had, you know, Captain Crunch or, you know, eggs or something, everything, you know, all these minute things are, are not predetermined, but the big picture is, however, let's say you're going to live to be uh, 90 years old and spirits intervene during a reading and start telling you about your physical well-being and your health and how you need to change some things, or you need to get to a doctor. Let's say you ignore that and then you have a stroke and now you live until 90 in an extremely impaired condition. However, the spirits were intervening so that that could have been avoided. And the alternative would have been to live to 90 where you had, you know, where you were not in a paralyzed or, or impaired condition. So it is a very complex answer. I think that I was supposed to be doing what I'm doing. But if you would have asked me when I was fresh out of law school and I was one of those young lawyers that wanted to gallop on a white horse to save the Constitution, that I would someday be lecturing on the afterlife spirit communication and how quantum physics proves the existence of the afterlife, I would have said, I don't think so. But the thing is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. 
and and I'm, and I'm not overemphasizing my place in the universe. We all are being guided on our paths. Every life matters. Every person counts. One of the things I always admired about Mother Teresa is when she said that nothing is worse than someone not meaning anything to anyone. And so there she is in Calcutta taking care of, of poverty, uh, stricken people who are dying of terminal illnesses. And she believed that these people needed to be validated, needed to be acknowledged and made to feel that they had self-worth. And that doesn't entail being a mother Teresa to do that. If you have an elderly relative or friend, pick up the phone and call him or her, write them a letter. Don't text, don't emails. You know, what, what do elderly folks get in the mail? Junk mail and bills, send them a letter. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It be thinking of you. If you see an elderly person in public, good morning. Hello. You know, it, it's, it's funny because you know, somebody, you know, like me, if, if, if a, an attractive 22 year old, you know, says good morning to me, it's like, woo, I did, you know, it makes my whole day. Well, someone that's 80 years old and somebody in their forties or fifties says good morning to them. It, it does the same thing. Everybody needs to be validated. Okay. And, and this is a very easy thing to do. And we don't think of it in that terms. You don't have to be mother Cal, you know, mother, mother Teresa in Calcutta. You could just be at the grocery store and just, just be nice. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I can even think of, it reminds me of a story when I was going through a really tough time in, in my life and I was going through a relationship loss and I walked into the Stewart's, which is like a gas station up here in, in New York. And this older man, elderly man looked at me and said, you have the most beautiful blue eyes. And it like, I was so sad and so like depressed of what was happening in my life. And that compliment of that stranger just like lifted me up. It felt truly like a divine, something divine, you know, was happening. It was just like, not even that I needed to hear it, but I felt seen, you know, it's like, oh, somebody just noticed me and recognized me and paid me this really nice compliment. And he was so sincere. And then he left. But to this day, I remember that because it was so profound of it changed my emotional state that day and kind of felt, you know, worthy in a sense. And it was just being seen. Somebody saw me, you know. Exactly. Somebody saw me. I wasn't just wallpaper. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in the Far East, an elderly person is seen as a sage of great wisdom and advice and the elderly are venerated in the West. You know, you, you get into the Hollywood and all that. And, you know, with, with all the respect, but, and, and I like like Jessica Lange and some other actresses are talking about, Hey, you know, once you hit 40, doesn't mean we cease to exist. Okay. And, and it happens, you know, w with men as well. I think it's, it's, it's harder, harder with women, but there's this thought that people just don't matter. God, back, I, I remember when he died, uh, there was this actor called Victor Mature. And he was in all those sword and sandal epics back in the fifties and the sixties, like Demetrius and the gladiator and the robe and all this stuff. And he was like, uh, the big muscle guy and all that. Then all of a sudden he stopped, um, 
um, acting. And uh, they wrote in his obituary that one of his lasting quotes were, Hollywood is where your star will twinkle until you start to wrinkle. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And and, yeah, don't let that happen to, to anybody. Yeah. Well, and I think I think you give a lot of good messages. You're kind of reminding people in this podcast too. you know, like if you have a friend, a lifelong friend, reach out. Don't take those relationships for granted. You haven't communicated with somebody in a long time, you know, reach out to them as well. And I think those are, you know, really great messages too. My One of my last questions that I want to ask you, because I'm sure we could have spent the whole hour just talking about your travels, but I noticed behind you, you have really cool, like it looks like indigenous masks and I see the rhino behind you. It looks very eclectic behind you. And I know that you've traveled all around, right? To these spiritual yes. places in the world. Can you give me one story from one of the places um, that really had a profound, deep impact on you, on your heart, and really changed you after you left that place. Yes, I have several, but this one's easier (laughs) time-wise. I was in England and I decided to go to the Tower of London. It was my day off and it was in early March and it was a dreary, cold, 40, maybe 45 degrees, drizzling, foggy, misty, perfect day to go to the Tower of London. <laughs> and the Tower of London, at one time, it was where the British royals lived. And if, you know, so like King Henry VIII and, you know, Elizabeth the I, they, they lived at the Tower of London. And if you were in their favor going there, it was wonderful because you're going to feasting and, and, and you know, uh, celebrations. But if you weren't being taken to the tower, it was a really horrible thing because it's also filled with dungeons and terrible tortures. So I'm walking around and I'm just loving it because now I'm picking up on all this energy and stuff. And I start thinking about Henry VIII and I'm thinking about his wives. Now, Henry VIII has got to be the poster child for misogynistic mistreatment of women. All right. Had six wives, they treated them all like dirt. And here's how you remember what happened to his wives. Divorced, beheaded, died divorced, beheaded, survived. Okay. And the only reason the last one survived is because he was so sick with venereal disease that he couldn't carry on anymore. And she basically, you know, was, you know, a companion, but his most controversial wife was Anne Boleyn. And I kept thinking about Anne Boleyn, Anne Boleyn. I said, I wonder, I know she was beheaded, and she was the wife that, that he, he, he fell in love with her and he wanted to divorce his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, who was the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella. Okay. So this was like a huge political thing and he divorced her and it started a whole thing with him and the Catholic church, which eventually ended up with England separating and, and all this. And I'm thinking about Amberlin, Amberlin, Amberlin. And I sit down and I go, I wonder if she was beheaded here. And then all of a sudden I look to my left and I see this glass like sculpture and i get up and i walk over to it and it said this be the site where queen anne boleyn was beheaded by order of king henry the eighth and i'm like oh my god <laughs> you know and, and you know the only thing that was missing was like some soundtrack going <laughs> you know and, and it was like i'm half laughing and half you know but i got this profound sense of okay i was led here for a reason And then it was like, okay, so she was executed here. 
And I picked up on that. Now, I don't want to, you know, say, oh, Anne Boleyn came to me, but I did at some point visit, I found out where her tomb was and they won't let you take pictures in there. But I just felt, felt this profound sense of sadness. And then it dawned on me that Henry treated women like beyond dirt, okay? They were just a vessel for him and he wanted them to give him a son to, to be uh, his heir and... I think Anne Boleyn had the last laugh because Henry did have a great heir, his daughter with Anne Boleyn, who was Queen Elizabeth I, England's greatest monarch, who turned a second-rate country into the world's major world power for the next 450 years. And it's like, you go, Anne. <laughs> awesome love that now do you also think that you know as as we're talking about like the brain frequencies right and stuff like that now media might say well you know i was just picking up on this but to me it kind of feels like i wonder if the frequency went back in time right into another dimension into another you know, like portal, I guess you could say, you know, time frame, almost as if you were traveling back to like a past life in a sense. But it feels like to me that when you tapped in and, you know, understanding what you wrote in the afterlife frequency, to me, it feels like you might have dropped into the frequency of that time. Yeah, I, I might, I very well may have, because in the afterlife frequency, I do discuss the quantum physics explanation of space time. Now, I, I want the the listeners to understand when you start hearing quantum physics and scientific proof, my book is not a dry textbook. No, okay? not at all. <laughs> yeah, th thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I suffered through too much of that in law school. I'm not going to inflict that on anybody. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the advantages of being a, a trial attorney is you have to take some complex concept and then make it understandable, presentable. And at times even entertaining to to the recipient. You know, because if you go in front of a jury, juries aren't stupid, okay? They may not be versed in legalese where the wherefores, and I've seen a lot of attorneys, well, the vector of the vehicle going through the was like, no, John Smith was going home and his vehicle crashed into a truck. His life was ruined. All right. You gotta talk to people the way, you know, the way we communicate. And that's that's what I've I've done with the afterlife frequency is to take these cons uh, concepts and put them into an understandable fashion. And, you know, there's some stories are funny, some stories are not, because the book does deal with, with some very, very heavy duty situations, such as murder, post-traumatic stress disorder, losing a child. And I address those because a part of the book has a, a large part of the book is a healing component. So, so I, you know, and, and the way to do that is to present stories that people can relate to, real stories about real people. And, um, and so that, that's why I, I took as long as I did to write this because I had to acquire the stories to illustrate the concepts. I'll tell you, there was one, one particular incident where I was trying to figure out space time, which is not, not an easy thing, but then it came to me and it's like, thank you other side. And I was ready to bang my head against the wall. And all of a sudden in my research, this quote comes up from Werner Heisenberg. Okay, Werner Heisenberg was a friend of Albert Einstein's and Max Planck. 
He's one of the guys that invented quantum physics, all right? And this quote said by Werner Heisenberg, when you think you understand quantum physics, you really don't. And I burst out laughing and it made me feel so much better because if Werner Heisenberg, the guy who invented or helped, let's say, discover, they didn't invent the, the laws of physics, they they discovered them. And also one of the, the scientists who endorsed the book, Dr. Dean Radin, who's the chief scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, we were talking and he said, you know, Mark, he goes, you get a hundred of us in a room. Yeah, we can't agree on anything, you know, <laughs> and, and because there's the divergence of opinions on, on a lot of things. And, and to me, that's exciting because yeah. quantum physics, you know, the cosmos, the subatomic, we're still learning more about it every day. And it's what explains our existence, the afterlife frequency and our eternal electromagnetic soul. Yes. And I feel like your book, The Afterlife Frequency, is a con like a contributor to that of what we're learning about science. You put stuff so eloquently into like easy words, the raft concept. Absolutely love that. And, you know, I feel like it's really a tool that you've brought a lot of different things together to teach us, the reader. Highly recommend it. Can you tell people where they can find more information about you, where they can purchase your book? And, and it sounds like you are, you're also doing readings for people and do you still oh, do for some group stuff? Oh, absolutely. I do readings for people and you can book a, a reading with me. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can find out about my book. Also, I have a page on my website called grief management, which is a resource, free resource for people coping with loss. And my website is the same as my book afterlifefrequency.com because I wanted to make it easy. I don't want, you know, okay, go to this website, go to that. that <laughs> yeah, afterlifefrequency.com. And if you put in the afterlifefrequency.com, it'll still go to the same domain and you can, you can schedule a reading with me. You know, while COVID's going on, we're not booking uh, public events, but they will be back. And phone readings are just as accurate as in-person readings. Why? Because Souls are pure electromagnetic energy, which moves at the speed of light. And plus on my show every week, The Psychic in the Dock, and you can find out about that on my website, Afterlife Frequency. My co-host, Dr. Pat Basili, who is an amazing world-renowned psychologist, people call in, I'll do um, a, a mini reading, and then you get her insights. So um, you can find out about all of that by visiting afterlifefrequency.com. Awesome. This was such a great interview. It was so much fun. You made it a great experience. My listeners, they really use our podcast as like a library. So please, if you reach out to Mark, let him know that you're a Path 11 listener and that you heard him on the Path 11 podcast. I, I just love getting the feedback too. We had somebody that did astrology recently and I sent her her link to her podcast. It was like a week late because I you know, just got backed up with things. She's like, oh no, I already had people from your podcast contacting me. So I knew it was out. I got the link you know, myself. And so I just love that about our listeners. They're so interactive with our guests. So I will not be surprised if some of our listeners reach out to you, get a reading from you. Hopefully your sales will spike once this comes out. Not that you probably need the help, but I'm sure our listeners will also be purchasing your book. So thank, thank you, you again. Yeah, lovely. And thank you everyone again for listening. I hope that you work on the RAF technique, recognize, accept, feel, and trust. And may that be your message for the rest of your day. Take care, everyone.
Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com. And be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.